Hello and welcome to the first episode of Scenes on Screen. We are just another film podcast. We will be talking about matters that are discussed in our blog posts in a bit more depth. So the blog post we are going off today is uh, my review. I am Petros and with me I have Ethan. How are you today, Ethan? Hello. I'm good, uh, thanks, Pat. How are you doing? I'm I, I'm very well. I'm very I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. And as I was mentioning, yeah. it will be about my uh, review of I'm thinking of ending things. But we wanted to look a bit further into the career and the films of Charlie Kaufman and whether I ask the kind of burning question. Does Charlie Kaufman work better as a singular mind writing and directing, or does he need to be reined in by a director? Famously in his career, it has a lot of the time been Spike Jones or Michelle Gondry. But before we get into all of that, uh, we're just going to take you down with a few little news points we've got that we want to discuss things that are going on in the world of cinema and that are exciting us at the moment. So, Ethan, what you got for us? Uh, I really badly want to talk about this new June trailer. It looks amazing. Um, I f- like. I was already like fairly hyped anyway. Um, I'm not actually. <laughs> I've basically like ingested everything about June aside from um, the book itself. Really, um, I'm too much of a slow reader to actually do it. But I might try and get on it before the actual film drops. Um, I'm something of a fan of the original David Lynch film. Um, I'm trying to remember, have you seen it before? I've never seen it, no. So, like, I'm a June novice, and, like, you talking about this trailer. I haven't watched the trailer. Like, okay. I'm not I'm not disinterested, but at the same, in the next breath, I'm not, like, I'm not interested. I probably will watch it. I, I, I definitely will watch it. There's no, there's no two ways about that, but I, I'm... I'm not singing from the same hymn sheet as you. I'm kind of waiting outside the church going, eh, yeah, I'll probably go in eventually, but I'll, I'll I'll wait till people start speaking in tongues and it's a fever pitch before I really get involved. Nice. All right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, kind of the thing that I noticed from, um, from like reactions to the trailer, people who do know the um, do know the work or have watched like the original film or just got interested they do seem to be like a little bit more excited than the general, yeah, as you said, kind of like the novice, like the people who don't really know that much about you. Most people are kind of watching this and just being like, what's going on? Why is he putting a hand in a box? And why is he screaming in pain? Or like, what's gigantic sandworms and stuff like that? Whereas, yeah, and then I've, I found myself trying to explain it to other people and they're just kind of like, that sounds like a lot, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, that's why they're going to be spreading this over two films. So, yeah, it's it's very rich. Like a lot of people are kind of wanting it to be like the next Star Wars. It's, I guess, if you were to put it in layman's terms, it's kind of like Star Wars meets Game of Thrones. Really, it's a little bit more political drama, and yeah, if people are looking for like Star Wars, this is a little bit more prequels than it is original trilogy. So maybe don't go in with that kind of hype. But if you are just looking for, you know, a sprawling sci-fi epic, um, yeah, with some with an incredible cast as well. Like, you know, you've got 
hot boy at the moment, Tim, um, Timothee Chalamet. Uh, you got um, Stellan Skarsgård as well, playing like the Baron, who's yeah, like the bad guy and whatnot. Um, and yeah, you got Oscar Isaac and his lovely beard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah ha- Javier Bardem, Dave Bautista, Javier Bardem, uh, Josh Brolin. Um, Rebecca Ferguson, I believe, as well. Um, Zendaya. Um, just absolutely stacked. I'm surprised I'm not in it as well. To be <laughs> um, one of the things I really wanted to talk about, uh, and you talk about like amazing casts, is uh, obviously I have a bit of a horse in this race somewhat, but I wanted to talk about the casting of uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. I'm not sure if you've seen... Uh, any of the news on this recently, which is the um, meta Nicolas Cage film where he's playing himself and he gets embroiled in a kind of hostage situation at a an appear like a kind of paid appearance by a a, a millionaire who they've recently announced is being uh, played by Pedro Pascal. Oh, fantastic! I didn't. Um, I I knew what this film. And I was very intrigued by, um, yeah, the meta nature of it because this like sounds perfect right now, especially for um, at this time in Nick Cage's career. Um, but yeah, I didn't, um, yeah, I didn't know about the plot. But I'm, yeah, I'm very, very intrigued. Um, and also, uh, yeah, Pedro Pascal is like um, already going to be playing like, um, yeah, like a millionaire type character in the new Wonder Woman as well. So I guess this is. <laughs> I don't know, some new typecasting for him <laughs> yeah he's not the only one who's been announced as well uh the amazing uh comedian and uh writer sharon horgan who uh you may remember from catastrophe the like sitcom or she was in the fantastic game night if you've ever if you ever saw that the the jason bateman movie with jesse plemons as well playing a a sinister next door neighbor and somebody who we'll definitely be talking about later in this episode. Oh, nice one. No, I, um, I still need to watch both of those, but I know her from, um, Oh God. Is it, it's called this way up. The, um, yes. the Ashling B sitcom. Yeah. She was really good in that as well. And no, I'm, I am hyped. This looks good. This looks really good. Perfect. So, um, you recently saw Tenet. I, I again, I, I I haven't seen this. Uh, is it the film to save cinema? <laughs> I regret to inform you, no. <laughs> um, it's it's not all bad. Um, there, there's definitely like a lot that I do still like about this film. Um, I do think uh, the everything on the surface is great. Like the cinematography is wonderful by um i believe it's hoyt van hoytemer who's done yeah done that uh ludwig granson's score is pulsating and just like anxiety inducing it's it's so just like bassy and heavy which i know has um kind of received some complaints about like the loudness of it but um i think it, it does kind of like add to the experience for sure um and then uh yeah there's some very nice suits on the show as well uh, from john david washington and robert patterson who's both their performances are absolutely great in there but sadly i think it does suffer a lot from a lot of the qualms that 
myself and a lot of other people do have with Nolan's work, which are very thinly written characters and overcomplication of plot um, and possibly just a bit too long as well, um, which is a really shame, to be honest, because I was I was quite looking forward to this film. Um, and yeah, and I also do have a personal gripe with one kind of held back piece of casting. I won't get into it just in case anyone's planning on watching it and may not remember that this person was announced to be in the film, but I was um, I was quite disappointed with who they turned out to be. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I, I don't think this is the, uh, the film to save cinema, I'm afraid. Sadly. Well, somebody who is likely to save cinema at some point is uh, uh, Bong Joon-ho. And yeah. obviously, yeah, uh, he's he's had some great news recently, right? Yeah, so um, his film um, is, was, uh, I can't remember if it's his debut or if it's his second feature, uh, Memories of Murder, um, was certainly one of the films that kind of like first boosted up his name back in the day from uh, 2003 um is finally getting a cinematic re-release and also um you're um yeah available to rent on curzon home theater as well um which is great news you know a lot of people haven't seen this a lot of people now know who bong joon ho is because of his massive acclaim and accolades from earlier on this year and also at the end of last year um for parasite which is a very well deserving film um I, I i think both of us loved that didn't we but i i i was knocked knocked out by it yeah it's uh it's it's a real breath of like fresh air to see because uh it's something something I, I believe we'll be talking about a lot in this episode is i really enjoy this kind of like uh genre blurring nature of films and i think bong joon ho with parasite nailed that to a t in that kind of it it has elements from all these different genres but it, it you can't just out and out say it's a, a horror movie you can't say it's a thriller or a, or a drama or or even a comedy it's just like it, it's real and like life has all of those elements whether it's yeah funny sad shocking horrific and yeah it it, it bloody blew my socks off it's an incredible film um once again to kind of tie it into kaufman but in a kind of a weird way but um i think they both have a really good talent for like just um for portraying things that are very very relatable or themes that are very relatable but just pushing it like just out of the ordinary but still making it very real. Do you get what I mean? I get entirely what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I guess more probably more so Kaufman, but like there seems to be a, a like a thread that runs through all of Kaufman's work in regards to um, what he's talking about, and there's themes that come up time and time again. And uh, I, don't, I don't know you, about you. Obviously, I've only seen uh, two Bong Joon-ho films, uh, Okja and Parasite, which are very, like, do you know what I mean? Like, they don't, to me, don't tend to, apart from both being, like, kind of socio-political in what they're 
like what they're dealing with, they they seem to have different themes, all in all. Yeah, like I mean that that's probably two two of the biggest like maybe yeah like yeah two of the biggest films where you could find like maybe a dis- like a sort of disparity I guess between uh, between the two of them. But I feel um, yeah kind of like much like you said with Kaufman, um, you always do have like these themes ever present. So, like with uh, with Bong, you do have a lot of um, yeah as you said socio political. There's um, a lot of like commentary on like capitalism and stuff that he does bring into a lot of his work you know uh i guess obviously parasite being the main one but then again snowpiercer as well mm-hmm. um which of course is very highlighting of the um the uh class spectrum as such so yeah both yeah very interesting directors perfect overall. yeah um so yeah i i really wanted to talk about uh the London Film Festival. So by the time people are listening to this, it would have been a, a, a two, three weeks ago now. But the the list, like the program, has been announced, and uh, I know you're in the like process of finding out whether you're getting uh, press accreditation. Uh, I I somehow have got it, and I am uh, like absolutely like mind blown that that is the case but like uh, i just wanted to like yeah like pick out a couple of like my my choice picks and kind of things i'm really looking forward to uh the first being kajillionaire which looks amazing so it's by director miranda julia and stars evan rachel wood and um richard jenkins and it's about this kind of dysfunctional family who kind of like seem to always be scheming and evan rachel's wood character is just like try like has lived this life with her kind of scheming crook parents and it's like looks like she wants to stray away that's that that's what we get from the trailer and i know it's like it's it's premiered at other festivals and stuff like that and it's already kind of making a bit of a name for itself and that's one i'm really looking forward to and uh i'll keep this quite short uh one i'm like i I, i've seen no real chat about it is siberia which is the new abel ferrara film starring willem dafoe who again uh willem dafoe is one of my uh favorite actors i think he can just like turn his hand to anything but yeah um check 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 out a trailer for that if you're listening it's it looks kind of twisted bizarre and beautiful and not to be um mistaken for the 2017 film siberia starring keanu reeves uh as well as like so the premieres we're getting at this festival we're getting mangrove the new uh steve mcqueen movie and we're getting soul the new pixar film directed by pete doctor who uh, i know there's been a lot of chat at the moment that that potentially could get a disney plus release yeah right um i saw this as well um i'm wondering how they're going to go about that because obviously uh mulan um as of uh, as of right now, when we're recording this, I believe it was either a week or two ago now. Um, Mulan was released on Disney Plus as well. Uh, had quite the rental fee for it. 
uh, was I know within the um, in America at least it was thirty dollars. It's, um, it's a 20, yeah, yeah. It's a nineteen ninety nine price point, I believe here, but it's it's not a rental fee. So once you once you oh. pay that, you keep it. And I think it's that thing of like it's supposed to be a family. Like I kind of I kind of see both sides of the coin. It's a lot of money if you're already paying that subscription, but like to take a family to the cinema as we both know as people who have worked in cinemas yeah. uh, in in the past uh when you ring up that till for a family of four once they've got tickets popcorn sweets ice cream you're looking at upwards of 50 pounds say yeah so I, I i guess if if the whole family are sitting around watching it you can kind of like do the mental maths to figure out that £20 on top of that subscription, if it's worth it, it's going to be worth that money. Yeah. Perfect. And, um, yeah, I do, I do think it looks... Um, it does actually look quite sweet, to be fair. Um, I think I even saw, like, even though it's a very musical film anyway, I was quite surprised to see that um, I believe Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross have a hand in the uh, score for it amazing like that is that yeah that is is even more reason i will try my hardest to um to get to see that film because yeah one of the things obviously with 2020 everything has like migrated online and that is one of the things of the london film festival a majority of the films are going to be um kind of on a platform for uh viewers to watch at home with uh with a select amount um soul mangrove um oh, what is it um no no nomad land and a few others will be in cinema still but it is a matter of buying tickets and trying to to get in there i know today when we are recording the uh yeah that the BFI members got first dibs on those tickets. So now chances are even slimmer to see those movies on the big screen. But still, it's going to be exciting. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't want to take up too much time talking about the London Film Festival because I sure as hell will be talking about it a lot more. And hopefully you will too when uh, it comes comes round and we're rolling and chatting as much about that stuff as we can uh i sure hope so because i really want to see possessor (laughs) yes 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 well we will we will talk about that at a later date uh however we are here today obviously to answer that question is charlie kaufman better alone or with a collaborator and i think the best way to do that is kind of look back at a select amount of his work. Unfortunately, I tried my hardest to watch as much uh, Charlie Kaufman like films as I possibly could in the last week. I know, I know you did the same. Yeah. Uh, so I think the best place to start off is just yeah, to talk about seven and a half, right? John Malkovich. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Welcome to the seven and a half floor of the Merton Plummer building. 
My name is Craig Schwartz, and I have an interview with Dr. Lester. Please have a seat, Mr. Juarez. My name is Schwartz. My name is Schwartz. Which of these two letters comes first, this one or this one? The symbol on the left is not a letter, sir. Damn, you're good. Do you know that I don't even know your name or where you work? And 50 other lines to get into a girl's pants. <laughs> yeah. So, honey, have you thought any more about us having a baby? I think that maybe we should just wait and see if this job thing pays off. There's a tiny door in my office, Maxine, and it takes you inside John Malkovich. There's no such thing as a hole into somebody's brain. Yes, there is. You see the world through John Malkovich's eyes? <laughs> And then after about 15 minutes... And that's not me. I didn't say that. You're spit out into a ditch on the side of the New Jersey turnpike. It was amazing. Where the hell are we? We're about to be just subconscious. Do you think that it's kind of weird that John Malkovich has a portal? I mean, do you think that it might have some sort of significance? What is going on? Huh? I discovered that portal. It's my head! John Cusack... Cameron Diaz, Catherine Keener, and John Malkovich. Malkovich! Malkovich! Being John Malkovich. Hey, Malkovich, be fast! So, what did you make? What? 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 What did you? What do you make of uh, being John Malkovich? Um, I I struggle with what my favorite Kaufman film is. Um, when we're looking at both uh, his written his written four films or um, his directorial work, and I think being my it might be my favorite. I don't know. It's it's kind of one of those things where it changes quite often. But I I do absolutely adore this film. It's such it's such an odd premise, um, and I I just I, I just don't understand how they managed to kind of pull it off, really. Um, but yeah, I. Um, I yeah, love it. Um, also, like, how how do you even approach like John Malkovich himself about this film? Well, funnily enough, I ended I I, I fell into a bit of a rabbit hole this morning. So I watched uh, Being John Malkovich last night. Fell asleep, had some weird fever dreams, and then this morning finished the film off. Uh, and I just started watching some interviews with uh, Spike Jones, uh, Charlie Kaufman, and. Uh, John Malkovich himself about this about this film and uh, it was actually Francis Ford Coppola uh, like went to John Malkovich after he'd already been approached by Kaufman and uh, Jones to kind of like say would you be in this movie like we're, we're like they had no other plan they had no other actor in mind it was always John Malkovich that was it and um, yeah obviously Spike Jones at the time being Francis Ford Coppola's um, son-in-law had said, like, he is going to be the future of, like, we're going to be answering to this guy. I think you should do this. I think you should do this movie. Like, uh, I'm not sure if he's just, like, obviously the Coppola family are, are famous for nepotism, so they pr he probably just wanted to help him out. But at the same time, like, Spike Jones proved himself because it is, it's a... It's a beautiful film, and it, yeah, Malkovich said himself, the script alone, like, regardless of his name being attached to it, he said it's possibly one of the most original, like, if not the most original thing he has ever read. 
yeah, like I, I just, I, I, even still today, I couldn't really think of any film that is like it, really. Um, like what, what year did it come out? I obviously know it was 1990s, but. It came out in 1999. And I think that like the year that it came out is a very like uh, prominent point of the film. Because I feel like it couldn't be made now, like from a, from, from a basis of like just i don't think i did a film like that would have like would get the budget that maybe it like needed or just like i don't know it, it's, it's fairly low budget anyway it seems fairly low budget anyway but at the same time like the 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 bigger point on it is that we live in like a digital age where people can be someone else whether it's a facet of themselves can project whoever they want to be on the internet whether that's through social media like or, or like forums or wherever like you can you can be someone else so like the kind of fundamental things that this film deals with and that like feeling of being someone else like we see all these people queued up waiting to have their 15 minutes in John Malkovich like I guess that feeling now is met for a lot of people by just tuning out and logging onto the internet and kind of going on Instagram and showing this kind of near perfect life and they can kind of like show like that that is the way they can kind of project and be someone else and get validation through that instead of this (laughs) going into a portal that takes you into john malkovich which is yeah a fantastic premise yeah i i hadn't even thought of that to be honest but that makes yeah complete sense um yeah gosh yeah 1999 was such a good year as well like just for like yeah, just to add that to the list of films, you know, just like The Matrix and Fight Club and stuff. Like a lot of, yeah, a lot, a lot of like big films that were kind of like talking about like our own reality and stuff. Yeah, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and then, um, so, and obviously this is Charlie Kaufman's first script as well, which is like, yeah. for Getting out of the gate is pretty. That's a real. That's a real ballsy move. And uh, he he said he never thought the film would get made. He he just thought it would be a good like kind of carrot to dangle in front of Hollywood, so he would get hired. Like it's kind of like, do you know what I mean? Like all the cards were stacked up against it. It's high concept. Mm. Like the very nature of the film involves like. Uh, a high like do you know what I mean like a really established actor at that point whether it's like being a founding member of like the fate of the world famous Steppenwolf like uh, theatre company or or even at that point like Malkovich was like do you know what I mean like the height of his game as like a kind of uh, fil- like film actor and like one of the things that boggles my mind with this film as well is obviously the the lead character is uh played by la, 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 John, Cusack. John Cusack yeah 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 who plays uh, Greg Schwartz mm. uh, Craig Schwartz sorry um and he he obviously in real like and we're living in a world where John Malkovich is 
John Malkovich, yet only three years, uh, like, yeah, not even, no, two years earlier, so 1997, John Malkovich and John Cusack were in Con Air together. So, like, we're living in a world in which, by all intents and purposes, John Malkovich would have made Con Air two years ago. Yet, uh, like, John Cusack couldn't, or, like, Greg Schwartz just happens to look the spitting image of uh john cusack i mean we, we do say that also you know this is a john cusack looking quite what the word <laughs> and kind of disheveled i guess you know he's got like the kind of the beard the like the ponytail and like scraggly hair and whatnot well um, like the, so the the costume design on this that like the costume and the production design on being john malkovich is perfect like that it makes it makes really recognizable actors almost unre- well, unrecognizable. So not only yeah. John Cusack, we have Cameron, Cameron Diaz, Diaz. Yeah. Who, who at this point, like this would have been a real left turn for her, like who's kind of like a, a household name for being in like very broad comedies or kind of like the love interest in stuff. And then to kind of be in this like, oddball like out there like kind of comedy drama science fiction movie like looking like this kind of again like quite disheveled like pet loving bohemian living in like what i can only imagine it's like brooklyn or something like that and the world the world as as crazy as it is and it's great world building i guess that comes back to charlie kaufman's script is that it like it's it's set up in a way that we get like odd stuff happening from the beginning that by the time we're introduced to the premise of the john malkovich tunnel it it doesn't seem like the weirdest thing in that world you know like What's, uh, what's quite interesting when we get into like the later work as well, um, even though this film wasn't directed by um, Kaufman, it, it still feels like it could have been in, in, like this feels like within the same world as uh, Synecdoche, if anything. Like it still has that kind of, that slight like griminess to it. Um, it's like, just as, like, as I mentioned previously, this like a little bit exaggerated reality as well. Um, I think it's just very interesting, but also goes to show just how much of a great pair uh, Spike Jones and Kaufman are. Like they totally seem to get each other to the point where I know this this almost somewhat looks like something that Kaufman directed, but not to negate Jones. Like Jones is still definitely like all over this, but yeah. Well, yeah, there's that there's that thing as well, and like to the point I was yeah making about like the kind of odd moments you have before you're introduced to that the kind of linchpin of this film is like we get this weird exchanges between uh like craig and his boss dr lester and his his uh secretary and it you kind of it it is the very comedic scenes that she's like i don't know I, i can't i can't understand a thing you're saying and like he goes into the he goes into dr lester's office and he says like 
calls him like Schwab, and he's like, no, it's, it's Schwartz. He's like, no, 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 I'm Greg Schwartz. He's like, well, get get out. And he's like, no, 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 no. She said my name wrong. And like moments like that are brilliant. And then like, there's obviously something wrong with the 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 secretary because she's convinced Dr. Lester that he has some like speaks speech impediment where she can't understand a single word he's saying yet like he sounds perfectly fine and even even the setting for this like it's on it's on the seventh and a half floor yeah Yeah, and like the whole description of like why it is the seventh and a half floor as well is just absolutely brilliant um although like it, it is proved to be like not is it proved to be not real because we only hear, ever hear that from um, Maxine that that is bullshit. But I don't know. Like I could, al- I could almost still believe it in this setting. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. De- well, definitely. That's what I mean. The, the world is built in a way that, like, and like, there's just small quirks. Like they go to this kind of Doctor Lester takes uh, Greg to this. Is it Greg? It's Craig, isn't it? Greg. No, it's, it, Craig. it's Craig. Yeah, it's just the way that Amer- um, like the, the American pronunciation is Craig. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so he takes Craig to um, like this like juice bar, and it like it, it kind it like it looks like it doesn't fit, but like at the same time in that world, it it totally fits because it's not like what you'd imagine a juice bar to be like now, do you know what I mean? Like nowadays, it kind of, it still, it just looks yeah. like a diner and like, but, but all the juices look really thick and like, and yeah, it's, it's great. And I, I think again, somebody who will pop up time and time again, when talking about Kaufman's work and somebody who is, I think the star of the show in this uh, movie is Catherine Keener. Yes. She's fantastic she, in this. Because, so. well, she she has a very difficult task in that, like, she has a character who is highly unlikable and, like, is getting people to almost do her bidding for her and taking advantage of people left, right and centre, yet you totally buy into that character entirely and like the like protagonists in this in um lottie and craig you almost fall in love with her as well which is like a really hard task considering how mean spirited a character she is yeah like i mean sometimes i do like (laughs) It's funny because, like, while you're watching it, you're just kind of like, why do I like this character so much? Like, she's not necessarily, like, the best person, but then you try to figure out, like, her motivations for certain things because, like, she's obviously not interested in Craig, like, whatsoever. But as soon as she figures out, like, oh, but I can kind of, like, make money from this thing that he found kind of thing. And, like, every, like, every time that she does kind of, like, lead him on, it's always to... Yeah, to like her own degree, uh, yeah, to for her own like gain as such. But I think like by the end, like she does like. Uh, are we going into spoiler territory here? Or yeah, well, I think I think twenty years, like twenty one, uh, no, uh, eleven years, no, 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 tw- no, no twenty one yeah. years is more than enough time to have seen this movie. Yeah. Okay, 
so yeah like um yeah so uh, maxine ends up falling in love with um oh god what's her name again sorry lottie lottie she ends up falling in love with lottie um later on but you do you do buy into that though you do still buy into that i haven't i weirdly enough i'd only just kind of thought about this but like when when we go back to saying about how like Cameron Diaz was kind of like playing against type for this, you'd almost imagine like anyone else would have swapped around Catherine Keener and Cameron Diaz's characters. Yeah. Yeah, you know, casting wise. Like that would have sort of like made more sense, but it works like you know, I I'm really, really glad they did what they did because I think it worked out better for the both of them. Well, it would have been a, it would have been a, so easy for the kind of character of Maxine to have been this kind of like Cruella Deville-esque like cigarette smoking villain yet yeah. like there's a kind of glint in Catherine Keener's eye that like softens the audience to her and like yeah, yeah right right up until like there I don't know you get to the end of this and it's like you, the villain of the piece is Craig yeah totally and, and it, like, well, that's the thing it's, it's and it's they're like and it's it's shown like basically like kind of right from the beginning anyway that like you know um like he's initially just trying to cheat on his wife yeah <laughs> so he's, he's like fundamentally not a good person from the beginning so yeah like every everything yeah everything does add up but it's yeah. I, I think like this yeah needs to point out and there's something that runs throughout charlie kaufman's career is the idea of like a flawed or untrustworthy protagonist for his films uh yeah like i I always feel that his well not always actually um that might come up later but a lot of his films you feel like he he's kind of almost put like a fictionalized version of himself as the protagonist like this um uh snetsky new york um obviously adaptation where uh nick cage actually plays him and his twin brother quotation marks there <laughs> but yeah um sorry what was your initial point again sorry no 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 my, 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 my point was that yeah there's like they're they're flawed characters even when he portrays himself in adaptation like they're not they're not crystal clean they're not there is kind of like murky lines between the good and the bad in people and there's like questionable things like that the characters do and like there are moments when you're like oh are they are they a a good a, a good person or like and they seem even though they're in these heightened worlds they seem fully rounded 3d real people as opposed to like black white good bad like it, it isn't about that it's these kind of like i don't yeah in these weird settings that they're, they're real people which uh i don't know yeah i guess we should move on to adaptation yeah. it feels like the perfect moment to do that and uh again Absolutely. his second time working with spike jones between those films he had written uh, Human Nature, which was his first uh, collaboration with Michel Gondry. Unfortunately, I was unable to track this one down. If I'd kind of 
we had, yeah, if I'd planned this a bit better, I could have, I could have got a, D, a DVD of it. But I don't, there, there can be such a thing as too much Kaufman in one week. There absolutely is, and to be fair, like I'm quite the same. Uh, there was a few films actually I didn't get to watch in this, um, which will kind of like raise up as we go along. Um, but yeah, that was something I'd definitely still be quite intrigued to watch, and even like the plot of that still seems kind of pretty cool anyway. But yeah, for uh, human nature. Well, well, yeah, and there's like it's it's a weird one because depending on which poster you see of it one of them makes it look like a kind of broad strokes out and out like almost Insenio Man or the California Man film with Brendan Fraser type movie and the other one looks like it's a Michelle Gondry and uh Charlie Kaufman film like uh yeah like I'll 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 be, I'll be sure to to link to link to these photos in the show notes for people listening and uh that yeah they're just like i i didn't know what to make of it initially from the first poster i saw which is this kind of image of reese Fans with like uh like leaves covering his bits and like patricia Arquette like doing the same bearded and disheveled like very early man kind of thing yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but Adaptation sees Charlie Kaufman take Susan Orlean's The Orchid Thief and try and adapt it uh, in only a way that Charlie Kaufman can. And obviously we'll be talking again about him adapting a book with, I'm thinking of ending things. She hates me. She's disappointed. I could see it in her eyes when we met. I've got to stop sweating. She thinks I'm bald. She's thinking I would never in a million years sleep with this guy. We think you're great. Oh, thanks. Wow, that's that's nice to hear. To begin, coffee would help me think. Coffee and a muffin. I'm going up to Santa Barbara this Saturday, and I I was wondering. Oh. I'm sorry. So I'll just be right back with your pie then. Drum roll, please. I'm gonna be a screenwriter, like you. I'm putting in a chase sequence. So the killer flees on horseback, cops after them on a motorcycle. And it's like a battle between motors and horses, like technology versus horse. Susan, we would really like to option this. You wanna make it into a movie? I wanna know what it feels like to care about something passionately. John LaRoche is a tall guy, sharply handsome. The book has no story. There's no story. Make one up. Okay, we open with LaRoche. No, we open at the beginning of time. Okay, we open with LaRoche. Crazy white man. We open on Charlie Kaufman. Fat, bald, ugly, paces. I've written myself into my screenplay. That's kind of weird, huh? I guess we thought that maybe Susan and LaRoche could fall in love. I just don't want to ruin it by making it a Hollywood thing. It's like I don't want to cram in sex or guns or car chases or characters overcoming obstacles to succeed in the end. She's crying. What's she hiding from? I think you actually need to speak to this woman to know her. People find love. People lose it. Every day someone somewhere takes a 
conscious decision to destroy someone else. What are your thoughts on adaptation? This is one I've been itching to talk about. Yeah, I um so I re- I rewatched it again uh last night. It was last night or the night beforehand and I'd only watched it like the one time beforehand. I did really, really enjoy it. But then watching it again, I was like, I, it amazes me like how you can pull off something like this. Like this could so easily be um, ambition over like, um, oh, ambition over execution or like just kind of seen as like, like incredibly self-indulgent the fact that like you know Kaufman tried to like add um adapt this book and ended up kind of almost making it like all about himself and yet sometimes and somehow it's not that well like I mean it it is to a degree quite self-indulgent but like it's not to the point of like uh, um oh god what's the word um off-putting like it's it's still quite like relatable and yeah like it's just amazing how it pulled it off i stunned i think something that doesn't get talked about a lot about this film is at the time it was a real serious oscar contender like with yeah uh, chris cooper winning the oscar for best supporting actor um meryl streep nominated for her role as susan orlean in like lead actress uh nicholas cage like nominated for lead actor uh i believe it was nominated for best adapted screenplay yes and, and also the first time a fictional person has ever been um uh nominated for an oscar yeah yeah which is something which a, a great create a creative device in this and again i i kind of got lost after watching this in um an interview and i think the person i really wanted to hear about their opinion on this the most was susan orlean and i, I looked up a, an interview with her and she she says it so well in that this really like blurs the lines between what is fiction and reality because obviously it is a a book like the orchid thief is based on a new yorker article that she had written she expanded it into this book um but obviously that is then based on a real person so john laroche susan all that they're, they're all real so we have there's so many layers of reality and artifice woven together and they kind of overlap and there is just a point in this film where it kind of like jumps the shark really and it is we we kind of cross over like the rubicon into a world of fantasy and fiction which is the kind of latter stages which is mirrored within the plot of this film with like donald kaufman's like uh, script he's writing and this kind of like high stakes tense 
thriller that he's writing about this killer and stuff like that and the the courses he's going to with the um is it like robert mckee talking about like how to end films and what people want and like even charlie kaufman ends up meeting with him and like he says well you're gonna have to make up the ending and they kind of and you can it's a hard one to talk about because you can kind of like get tongue-tied in 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 what layer of it you're talking about it on because there's obviously like the making of like yeah there's there's the making of the the writing of the script and then that is also scenes that we see have already seen within the film and then we have like charlie kaufman talking into his dictaphone going charlie kaufman talks into his dictaphone trying to write the script and then obviously that is exactly what we're seeing at that moment and we see a moment of him right like tapping away on his typewriter going so we start at the beginning of time we see we we see the fish we see the fish that turns into a man we go through all this stuff and 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 that is that is how the film opens and it's like no 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 we cut to we cut to john laroche he's looking for the ghost orchid and it's like this is stuff we've seen and it is just like again it's it's a kind of he's taken this weird world that he created with being john malkovich and kind of like going it's almost like it's i pulled off that let's see if i can pull off this yeah and once again it does kind of like set us in a reality again because you during the course of Charlie Kaufman trying to write this script, um, he is, it's while they're making um, being John Malkovich. And so you're seeing like these little scenes of him like on set, like trying to like talk to like Catherine Keener and um, John Cusack and stuff. And it's bizarre, but whilst also having like his twin brother who, uh, if anyone doesn't know, does not actually exist in real life. <laughs> um yeah it's it's so once again i just don't understand how they pulled it off it's just <laughs> ow <laughs> well yeah and but but what is what i think is really interesting about it as well and uh yeah to go back to this Su- susan orlean uh interview she says that even though it's kind of this high concept and like can can be like it's it's convoluted to talk about it but whilst you're watching it it's quite easy to follow because yeah it is this kind of like we've got a present day narrative we have a um a two years earlier narrative and we have a three years a five years earlier narrative to that so we have susan orlean writing the book herself uh, Charlie Kaufman trying to write the book and then the last layer which is the five years ago is the actual events of Susan Orlean with John LaRoche which is obviously yeah. the element of the adaptation yeah is is the orchid thief story itself but obviously that all comes to like a, a, a crossroads at the end because it's all brought up to the modern day when he's struggling to find this ending but one of the things susan Lean said is charlie kaufman managed to like pull things out of her life that she didn't really have like 
any knowledge and wasn't wasn't like in the may have been in like the subtext of the book but wasn't laid out and like like difficulties with her own marriage at the oh. time weren't in weren't in the, the the book itself like she admitted herself that she couldn't believe when um studios came to her and said we want to option your book to be turned into uh, a film she was like well good luck that's that's your that that's that's like that's your job yeah 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 i'll, I'll obviously take the paycheck but yeah you're gonna have the tough job of actually turning this book into like and it's addressed in the film that the the book doesn't have an ending it is just and 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 i, I guess it's then up to charlie kaufman the character and charlie kaufman the the real life writer to come up with that ending and that is a sore point to susan orlean as well because she was like she was very reticent to the idea at one point that she would even have her name like attached to it and said like you've got it can't it can't it can't be me because this could ruin my reputation of yeah like that's the thing like um there's there's yeah there's a lot of stuff that could be very like damning of her in the book and that's why i was kind of surprised that she was so approving of it in the end to be honest i mean don't get me wrong it's got to be quite something of a bit of an ego boost for you to say like oh by the way meryl streep's playing you yeah. <laughs> but, but but like when we get to the like her being on the porn site her, her doing drugs her having this affair with john laroche all of that is false like that none of that happened it is just this robert mckee style like drama for the third act that, yeah. that is a total fabrication from charlie Kaufman's mind and i think one of the studio execs said to like susan orlean she's like the she said like the script's great but i'm worried about my reputation and um she said like like the the studio exec said like well i like look at charlie kaufman he's just spending half the movie masturbating like what about his <laughs> reputation <laughs> it's true like <laughs> oh man i didn't know and apparently like all of the names as well so like the the names of like the like producer the managers and stuff like that they're all yeah. the real names of those people they're obviously played by oh, actors cool. but they're all their real names so it, it, they they wanted this level of authenticity to all of it which just like when you hear stuff like that it makes it even more exciting i find and yeah. uh, like I, I i don't know like there's yeah there's a great story that susan orlean tells as well that she was on set uh, at some point like she had a cameo that got cut out of the film uh mm. but she was on set the same day that uh like charlie kaufman was there and nicholas oh. cage announced it to everyone and he went Ladies and gentlemen, the real Charlie Kaufman meets the real Susan Orlean for the first time. And like um, Charlie Kaufman just turned around 
and walked off of the set. Oh my god! <laughs> so like that—that's kind of like what we did. Yeah, what we're dealing with, and obviously they had they they hadn't met like that. Even that part of the 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 script. Well, obviously in the in the film it is Donald pretending to be Charlie meeting Susan Orlean, but yeah, he he had managed. I find that amazing that he had managed to write this script and by the by the author of the book on which it's based said that there are elements that he managed to to pull out of there that she hadn't really processed herself yeah. and the fact that they'd never met I think really shows the sign of like a writer who is really in tune with like the human condition in that, yeah. like, he can pick up on those things, and like, that's what I mean. His films are high concept, but they do deal with very fundamental human issues. And this film very much deals with something, and like something I find fascinating about it, and also like quite anxiety-inducing is this like. Um, theme that runs through it of like imposter syndrome, like that yeah. Charlie Kaufman feels that, like, and obviously, there is this level of pressure that he has made or like is in the process of making being John Malkovich. Yet, he's but he's got he, he wants to do justice to this next script, he wants to do justice to the to to the to the source material he wants to kind of do justice to orchids like themselves and feels like he can't he can't quite uh, pull it off and yeah like what like i don't know like it's it's great it's i think yeah i i for me I, this may be this 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 really pushes up to be my favorite like uh, film that like Charlie Kaufman has has written, just yeah. because it it ticks a lot of boxes for me. Obviously, it's got the it's got the Nicolas Cage connection, and like again for him, it is really really like it doesn't feel like it's Nicolas Cage. Like he really gets lost in this character or characters. Yeah, and it's it's a fantastic like, it's a fantastic turn. Do you know what I mean? It's a fantastic like, um, performance from him. Like, ev- everyone's just firing on all cylinders, and like the story itself is just so like, it's fun. And I remember when I first like, when I first saw it, and kind of like when I watched it for the first time, it would like never. Li- I was like what is this like where where has this been so i i wouldn't have seen it like until i don't know at least 2010 yeah because so, i remember you you definitely watched it by the time we met and that was back in 2011 because no yeah. i didn't I, I didn't yeah i didn't initially borrow off you i think i i think i watched it on netflix but i did i went in on your recommendation and i'd always seen that poster with the um with the plant pot and the head kind of and, thing which i feel like is, is quite an iconic image and yet i don't 
I still feel like not a lot, of, not enough people have actually seen the film. Well, that, that is the thing. I think it's kind of like been like I don't know. Like it's a hard one to sell to. It's it's a hard. I think because it's so hard to explain without mm. sounding like a pompous arsehole. Like yeah. when you're going, oh, it's about this writer trying to write a book about a flower. Like it's almost like, and that that is the thing with that is the thing with Charlie Kaufman in general. You try and explain his films, they either sound boring mm. or just too fucking weird. Yeah, or possibly pretentious as well. Uh, pretentious as fuck. Yeah, like you. Yeah. You like the nuts and bolts of it. You like if you break it down, Synecdoche, New York, is a New York playwright tries to write his magnum opus. Yeah, yeah. If you go and 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 that 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 is that is trying to explain it in its simplest form. You go deeper than that. People will go, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, the, yeah, I mean, it's like, what is it? Just like, I mean, we'll get into it later. Anyway, um, was there anything else you wanted to say in adaptation? Just that for, for like, a, a second team up for uh, Spike Jones and Charlie Cow, it's... It's, it's it's fantastic and yeah more people like how if you haven't seen it like i i feel like we've left enough like open at the end like that you don't know exactly what happens like uh that, that you can still enjoy it like and yeah i would i would a hundred percent recommend it uh yeah. i'm looking now it was produced by uh jonathan demi so obviously, like one of cinema's heavyweights, like saw yeah. something in this film and was like, "This has got, this has got to be made." Like, oh, uh, I just realised something else I forgot to mention about uh, Malkovich as well. Um, one of the, it was either the producers or the executive producers, Michael Stipe. Yes, yeah, yeah, Michael Stipe of REM, and yeah, it, yeah. like that's a, the real interesting people and. I guess Francis Ford Coppola was right that eventually yeah. people would be answering to uh, to Spike Jones. But between, yeah, I guess we should move on to his second time that he worked with uh, Michelle Gondry. But before we do that, I'd just like to quickly mention the same year, 2002, as Adaptation... Uh, Charlie Kaufman had penned the script to George Clooney's Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, starring uh, Sam Rockwell, uh, which is again, it's 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 another adaptation of a uh, a memoir of a game show host who kind of made these crazy claims that he was somehow like a CIA sleeper agent and had caused like done these secret missions and stuff like that it's a it's a real interesting film i haven't seen it in years i couldn't i couldn't find it um 
yeah, it's not readily available on any streaming platforms here in the UK. And again, time constraints, uh, a, a little bit more planning, but it's it's fun. It's not an out and out uh, Kaufman film, and I think that has uh, like that has happened a couple of times in his career. I know that there is like um, he's got some yeah, and it's pretty perfect time to mention it. There is some really interesting like. Uh, if you like look around, there's some interesting, like Kaufman credits or like stuff that he was, um, he is like ghost written. Uh, one um, of one of them being like uh, he did some rewrites on Kung Fu Panda Two. Really? Yeah, he did uncredited wow. rewrites on Kung Fu Panda Two and Ad Astra. Oh, cool! I really love that Astro. And um, yeah, we I we will get yeah, and I'll I'll mention it briefly here. There's a a really interesting uh, Charlie Kaufman film that never got made that would have came like was ready to go in 2012, which would have been called Frank or Francis. Uh, which would have been a musical comedy about an internet about internet anger culture and was set to star Jack Black, Nicolas Cage, Steve Carell, Kevin Klein, Catherine Keener, Paul Rubens, Jackie Weaver and Elizabeth Banks. Wow. I love it. I think I, I remember hearing that title around that time as well actually. That's such a shame we didn't see that. Yeah, he's got he's got a few a, f- a few interesting like uh, uh like things that never happened. Another being how and why, which was a like pilot he had made for um, FX that that okay. ne- that never got picked up. That would have starred John Hawkes uh, as a guy who can explain why a nuclear reactor works, but is clueless about life. Is like the pitch line, and uh, would have had. Michael Sarah, Sally Hawkins, Catherine Keener, and Tom Noonan in it, which again is like for casting, like yep. is 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 fantastic. Uh, but let's talk about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I'm Clementine, by the way. I'm Joel. Hi, Joel. No jokes about my name. You like? Oh. You look like a tangerine. I want to be a great, big, huge elephant. You're trying to figure out, did I have sex with someone tonight? And how do you get people to like you? Here at Lacuna, we have a safe technique for the focused erasure of troubling memories. Is there any risk of brain damage? Technically, the procedure is brain damage. It's on a par with a night of heavy drinking. Nothing you'll miss. I'm in my head already, That baby's history. It's all being wiped away. They're erasing you, Clem. You'll be gone by morning. Whoa, careful. Come on, come on. Step back. Approach the guy. I loved you on this day. Please let me keep this memory. The eraser guys are coming here. Wake yourself up! We're working like gangbusters. I need somewhere deeper. Can you hear me? I don't want this anymore. I want to call it off. 
He's up in that. Seem to have lost him for a moment. Oh dear. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. I want my mommy. This is sort of warped. Hey. Um, so interesting story about this. So this film came out, um, is it 2005 or 2004? 2004. 2004. So I... Yeah, so I would have been about 12 or possibly even 11 at this point. Um, and I'd gone... Yeah, I'd gone to my dad to the weekend and quite commonly, you know, most Saturday nights, like back in the day, um, we had these things called video rental shops <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we decided which to pick up Eternal Sunshine because um, my household were big uh, Jim Carrey fans and we're just like, oh, cool, new Jim Carrey comedy. <laughs> and we watched Eternal Sunshine the Spotless Mind and we were just like, what? <laughs> what, what is this? Um, but at the time, I still it still had like something of an impact on me. Like I think it was one of the first films that I ever watched where I didn't understand it as such. And I was just like, I was always very intrigued by. It. I never didn't like it. I was always just like, what is this? And then years later, I'd watch it. and I was just like, this film's kind of beautiful, really, isn't it? Yeah. So I I I didn't get a chance to rewatch this again just because. Uh, I didn't pick it up, and it's not available to stream. But no, same. Sadly, I um, I, I actually ordered a Blu-ray specifically for this, and um, as of now, it still hasn't come. So that's that's oh, great. Man. Well, <laughs> yeah, because I, I I I I was quite late to seeing this. I saw this possibly like when I would have been about eighteen or nineteen, and I remember, okay. I remember having a feeling that like I like. I knew exactly what it was talking about. Like it's, it's left such a, such an impact on me. And I remember like a devastating, like uh, moment in my life uh, with an ex-girlfriend and like, she had like said to me like, Oh yeah, like bring over like a couple of DVDs we can watch. And at the time I was like, oh, I, fucking love, I loved Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. Um, and I took it to her and was like, Oh yeah, we, we could watch this. And she like, I, I don't know. I probably this moment made me reticent to like watch it again, and uh, for, for for a while uh, was that uh, she said like, "Oh no, that that that's like kind of like got some baggage with that film with my ex boyfriend," and then it was like that thing like, "Oh boy, like I definitely I definitely can't be watching this film." But like at that time, like I felt like I knew everything that that film was trying to say and it's it it is it is it is a beautiful film and i think like as i get older like i understand it and kind of i know if i watched it today it would like beat the shit out of me emotionally and yep. i would i would not be able to kind of like i, I would probably be I don't know. It, yeah, it would hit me fucking square in the heart, and like, yeah, it's it's 
So yeah, like I mean, I, I feel like obviously this is probably is this the most? It's, it's probably the most popular and celebrated, I guess, of Kaufman's work, even whether people know that or not. Because um, obviously, like you know, it, it was quite a big deal. Um, one of like, as I said before, like one of Jim Carrey's like big turns for drama, even though he'd done that before with Man on the Moon and um, Truman Show. This was like the for some reason this was like the big one where everyone was just like, oh wow, he really is like a great dramatic actor and stuff. I mean, even you know the rest of the cast as well. You know, you've got Kate Winslet. Um, you know, some people have even seen that as like you know deconstructing the manic pixie dream girl um, stereotype. Uh, you have that. You have Elijah Wood in there. You've got Kirsten Dunst, um, Tom Wilkinson, um, oh, uh, Mark he... Ruffalo as well. Like stellar cast listing right there. Um, but yeah, just like um, I think, like the, the I, once again, when you try when you try to explain this film, like it can be a bit, it might be a bit alienating to people. But I quite like explaining it as literally just like a man trying to erase um his girlfriend from his memory but also you know trying to grab onto those memories because he realized the mistake that he's made yeah and like like th th this one again like was was an awards contender it won it won the award for best original screenplay and kate winslet rightfully was nominated for uh best actress but yeah like and the the I think it's a film that, like, again, like, to my point of, like, with age, like, when you get to the the end of this, and it, it again, it taps into, and I think that is a thing of um, the universality of a lot of, like, when you strip away, like, the kind of artifice and, like, I don't know, high concepts... Charlie Kaufman is kind of talking about very human issues and yeah. that that is that is something in this like I think any mo yeah like I would argue most adults have had a had a a lot like a lost love in their life and had that feeling of like wanting to forget about uh, an ex like partner so badly that like this concept like if do you know what I mean it is it's like n nowadays like I don't know I feel like this concept would be frittered away in like an hour uh like Black Mirror episode and done really dark and dystopian like do you know what I mean like this kind of store you can go to 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 forget to forget your exes yeah whereas in this it's done it's done so so beautifully and the the kind of it's got it's got that real bittersweet ending that obviously i'll just leave it at that i don't want to spoil it for anyone like but yeah like it's yeah i i totally understand why this is this is like up there as what like seen and yeah it's a it's a strikeout film for both Kaufman and Michelle Gondry. Like, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they both kind of broke out on this film and yeah, just don't know. Like it's, it's massively critically acclaimed as well. And I, it, 
it makes it makes perfect sense that it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'd probably say like this is um one of it's also one of Kaufman's most like positive films as well, even mm-hmm. with like you know the whole like plot point being like you know trying to erase someone from your memory it's just kind of like it's it kind of you know takes a twist on that it's just like no like you know it it takes it's like it takes something that could be quite uh could be kind of you know quite dark and depressing but really does turn a positive into it and also kind of like a good lesson out of it as well um quite a mature lesson as well so yeah um well definitely and there was a point when like uh this film like could have not been made because around uh yeah around the same time christopher nolan had released memento and uh it spooked charlie kaufman because of the way like it's a film that dealed with memory and uh like charlie kaufman didn't want to kind of get accused of plagiarism tried to pull out of it and uh yeah one of the producers uh, kind of like forced him to to finish it. He's like, no, you've got, you've got, you've, you've got to finish this script. Like we we need, we need, yeah, we we need to see that. And yeah, so glad, so so glad that he did. Um, and that's the thing. I think one thing that Kaufman does, you know, um, have over Nolan as well is like he. He, he writes very, very relatable characters. Um, like, even as we were going, like going back into, like, his other work as well, saying about how high concept they are and stuff, at the ground level, you're, like, whether you, whether you like the character at the centre of it or not, you do still find them relatable. They do still find, feel very real. Whereas, you know, like, as I said before, like, my issue with Nolan was just, like, the fact that I can't get into his characters as such. And I think that's what, alienates quite a lot of people as well so yeah well perfect talking about alienating let's talk about synecdoche new york i have a lot of problems going through some things i'm hurt am i dying can you tell me that i can't tell you you can't tell me no no you can't tell me if you can't tell me no i'm lonely and I'm afraid I'm gonna die. Anything else? I don't know what's wrong with me. And I want to do something important while I'm still here. That would be the time to do it, yes. Death comes faster than you think. The idea is to do a massive theater piece. What was this used for? Plays. Like theater plays? I disappointed you somehow. Everyone is disappointing. The more you know someone, I don't know what I'm doing. Knowing that you don't know is the most essential step to knowing, you know? I want you to beg me on your knees for a kiss. <laughs> we need to investigate the essence of each being. You're weirdly close to what I've visualized for this character. Glad to be weirdly close. You smell weird. What do I smell like? It's like you're menstruating. I don't know. I don't, I don't menstruate, so I don't know I can smell like I'm menstruating. You tell me. I've been following you for 20 years, and I learned everything about you. So hire me, and you'll see who you truly are. I'm just a little person, one person in a sea of many little... I'm not a homosexual. Because afterward, it's just outside. 
so complicated. That's what you do. I hope you're through any way I can. There are millions of people in the world. And none of those people is an extra. They're all leads of their own stories. Caden. What? When are we going to get an audience in here? It's been 17 years. Welcome, young lady. It's a near-on impenetrable film, I would argue. Uh, to to most people, like I've I've heard. Uh, yeah, I want to shout out the uh, Sudden Double Deep podcast who recently covered this, and uh, Jeanette on there absolutely like couldn't get into this film at all. Uh, whereas Daryl, uh, one of the co-hosts, like got it and was, was was in it and i i i feel like that for me like perfectly sums up this film you are either going to be moved and emoted by it or you are going to be left cold and like kind of looking for looking for answers that unfortunately would either lead you down avenues of having to watch countless amounts of video essays on it or watching the film again which obviously yeah. if you didn't enjoy it the first time you're most likely not going to enjoy it a second no although i would say um i so i watched this i did watch this in preparation um and this was the second time i'd watched this in the space of the year which i would not recommend i really don't even as much as I do love the film. Um, but I picked up on like a lot more. Um, there's a lot of like background stuff that's going on. Um, but yeah, this is, um, I mean, I, I described this to my letterbox review as basically a horror film. <laughs> well, that that's a really interesting point because um, Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones were approached to write a horror film by uh, by paramount they was they, they said like we've got we want you we want you guys to to make a horror film and originally uh spike jones was like going to be the the writer sorry i said paramount sony pictures uh, okay. uh, uh, uh release this film but yeah it's really like it's really interesting that this is the horror film that came out of Charlie Kaufman's mind. Yeah. Like um, this, um, I mean, building up towards this, we'd already seen, um, he'd already like lighted on um, kind of like, yeah, like I guess like depression and especially in adaptation, he'd gone a lot into um uh, what was it imposter syndrome and stuff like that, which could kind of develop to um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. Um, it's Caden, his name is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, Caden, um, who is a playwright um, who's just had like a success with um, a rewrite of um, 
Oh gosh, was it Death of a Salesman they do? Yes. Yeah, Death of a Salesman, but they made like the the characters younger in it. Um, but yeah, and so like he's mostly just like just listening to all like the negative criticism of it and whatnot. Even though like you know later on in the film he gets a genius grant, like you know the the guy is definitely a good writer kind of thing. Um, but yeah, like. Also, can we just talk about like Philip Seymour Hoffman is just like perfect in this as well? Like, well, well, can can we can, can I just quickly run down like some of the cast list of this? Because yeah, go for it. It is insane. So we have obviously we've mentioned Philip Seymour Hoffman as Caden Cotard. We have Samantha Morton as Hazel. Michelle Williams as Claire Keane. Catherine Keener as Adele Lack. Emily Watson as Tammy. Diane Weist as Aline. Uh, Eileen, we have Jennifer Jason Lee, Hope Davis, Tom Noonan. Like the list goes on. It's just an insane cast. Uh, again, like, and I don't, and even the title itself. So there is obviously a place in New York called Synecdoche, but it's spelt differently to the title of the film, which draws its um thingy from it's 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 a it's a complex it's a it's a complicated term so synecdoche in the way that it's spelt in, in this which is s y n e c d o c h e um is a word like yeah so it is it's a word that is can can mean two different things or like is the personification of a thing so um right i'm trying to think of a example of it off the top of my head but it is one second it's a, it's it's an intro it's an it's a it's really interesting because that the like that to a lot of people would like just slip by them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like yeah, the dictionary definition is a figure of speech in which a part is made to represent the whole or vice versa, as in England lost by six wickets, meaning the English cricket team. So, and then obviously it's how that plays into, like, even that is like a clue to to what this film is about. It's, it's almost like Charlie Kaufman is working on, like, David Lynch, like, levels of kind of, like, I'm leaving I'm leaving all these breadcrumbs and stuff like even even to do with the, the title like do you know what I mean like to the layman you yeah. wouldn't pick up on that you just go oh yeah it just sounds like, oh I never knew that that place in New York was pronounced like that and it, mm. it, it's not it's a <laughs> it's it's a it's a different weird word that I don't even think I've made sense of even reading the dictionary definition right now and I don't know. There's so like I think this film has like there's so much 
to unpacking it. Like it's got one of like the the longer like uh, Wikipedia entries. Like, well, it's got a whole section just on motifs that are in the film, and like I'll just yeah. read the subheadings of them, which is the burning house, which is again, which is probably one of the first moments in this film that it kind of strays into out and out like surrealism yeah like up until like, that... i guess that was i was gonna say like that's probably one of like the first things where um as we said like you know you're either gonna get into this or you're not like i think that's one of the first points you're gonna be someone might get alienated yes yeah. uh this scene in question is basically um so Evan Morton's character goes into this house with a realtor and she's looking to buy literally like buy the house and it's just you know to observe you're just kind of like why would someone buy a house on fire but that's the point you know like why would someone walk into a situation where they know it's going to be terrible sort of thing well there's so that like that plays into like uh so much of this film there's a really interesting like exchange between her and the estate agent which is she says i like it i do but i'm really concerned about dying in the fire and the uh the the realtor responds it's a big decision how one prefers to die which yeah. <laughs> do you know what i mean like and it is that thing that you said like we know we are going to go into situations like it could be any it could be massive life decisions that you are going to die and this i think this film of all of his films really tackles some of like the big questions and like yeah. i think it's yeah like there's a quote that is the brought up continuously throughout the film which is the end is built into the beginning which kind of um brings about this like uh idea that like obviously birth and death are so closely linked and that like there's in a fraction of a second you could like do you know what I mean your life is gone through your fingers like just i don't know, it deals with like the sands of time so quickly like the the passage of time in this film again i don't think obviously we're trying to keep like the length down on this episode we could talk about this and possibly at some point we'll revisit this and really give it the the due that it deserves the yeah but it's there's a lot there's there's a lot isn't there there's Jungian psychology uh references to delusion a, yeah. a, a play within a play like we get to a point in this where you've got characters playing real life characters doing it's it, it, it's like he's taken elements of adaptation and like amped it up do you know what I mean it's got another and it's got these more layers it's got even more layers to it because time itself is i don't know moving in a weird way and a question 
I wanted to ask you, and it's been playing on my mind since watching this, is yeah. is this just, like, are we supposed to believe that this is the world and this is how things happen? Or are we to believe that what is ha- what we are shown is through Caton's perception of the world? Um, that's interesting. I think it's it's more so the latter, but um, obviously there's it's the thing because you you obviously see elements of the real world behind, like whenever he's going to. Um, so basically, the the play is constructed in this gigantic. Um, it's kind of like a big warehouse. Yeah, it's a such, massive warehouse. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Well, every time you kind of see the outskirts of that warehouse, um, the world around seems to be getting like constantly worse. Like it feels like there might, I don't know, there's like civil unrest going on. I think like a tank drives uh, down the street at one point and you kind of see like this man has just become like, you know, such a slave to like what he's trying to achieve with this play. Um, I actually noted down of calling um the the play itself um as it grows bigger and bigger in size it feels like a monument to his own depression you know you're just completely just like losing yourself in this without you know without you know like this is how he's trying to work for his problems which just is not a good idea and yeah he's just like built this gigantic thing that (laughs) i don't know like it's yeah it's alarming. But to answer your question, um, I, I think it's mostly meant to be through his perception. Um, yeah, as I said, but with real-world glimpses poking in. Well, yeah, because by the time we get to the end as well, we we almost have Diane Weister's character playing him as the yeah. director of the play. And then like it kind of it gets to a point where she's directing what seems like his life. We get the idea of the, the cleaner who we never see the real world cleaner. Uh, all we really see is it looks like Caton impersonating the cleaner so he can go into his ex-wife's apartment and kind of communicate and read notes between them. Or it's like he's writing the notes. It's, it's it's very weird and like these passages of time as well and uh like there's there's a moment in it where um one of his like actors says when are we going to mount this play and he's like oh so, like when it when, when it's finished and he's like well we've been doing this for 17 years yeah and that's once again like we're talking about like the passage of time in this film is just alarming um, I saw a lab box review as well. Um, I'll try and find like the person who did it because I do want to say who it was. But basically, they were saying about how um, when you're a kid, everything feels like eternity until you reach like adulthood, and time just starts to pass by like at such like an alarming rate. Um, well, yeah, that I watched a video um, made by Amy Nicholson and David Chen who talked about like broke down like the the, one of the first scenes in this when things seem relatively normal to just like a viewer it's just kind of like 
it looks like the day-to-day of a family, but you see from the newspaper that he's reading that just the newspaper alone, the date changes three times, which I believe is to show that there is this, like, monotony to his life and that he's just going through the motions and, like, he maybe isn't the per like he, i don't know in his perception like he seems alarmed when his wife leaves but obviously he's kind of been like ignoring them for for throughout this thingy months do you know what I mean he's kind of so wrapped up in the pl- his play and what like just reading the news and just kind of like trudging through the motions that that but but to obviously on screen it looks like it's just happening in one morning but it's kind of compressing that kind of decline of a relationship and those final throws into one scene instead of like being like into intercut with with so much more and um yeah i think an interesting point as well is this film has double the scenes that is traditionally like in a film of its length oh really yeah and i think that is just to to make things <laughs> as <laughs> like i don't unsettling as and just really like there's some like real whip sharp like edits and just kind of there's fast scenes isn't there like we yeah. have him calling up about getting a doctor's appointment or like getting a dentist appointment and then it's literally like the next moment we're there or like he calls up the doctors and he says like thanks for seeing me so quickly and like again from from watching videos online we know that it's a certain date when he made the made the appointment but if you look in, on the wall behind him it's like a few months later and it's yeah. like yeah it's 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 a real mind fucker, this one, isn't it? It really is. Like, I mean, once again, like going back to when I said about like this is basically a horror film. Like, obviously, you have, you know, the depression side of it is quite like like when I say it's a horror film, it's very real world horrors. You know, it's you know, as I said before, the the monument to your own depression, and then the um the, yeah the passage of time is just so alarming in this film. Um, the way that uh, Caden like constantly like sees his daughter as like um as yeah like she's meant to be i think she's meant to be kind of like four years old or maybe even eight i'm not too sure kind of adds to the film anyway um but yeah like the way that she's just like constantly growing older but he just keeps seeing her as like this little girl Mm -hmm. oh like it's the things that he doesn't notice as well um there's a part where he gets really alarmed because he um because he finds out that his daughter's been tattooed it's just like no she's too young to be tattooed and all this kind of stuff and then with the person who he's talking to is just sort of like everyone has tattoos and like um, the person like reveals they have like a massive like devil head back piece and he's just like I never noticed that before it's just like and you've been married to this person for like two years how did how did you never notice that? well yeah and there's like I think the first glimpse we get like out outwardly that the passage of time is moving in strange ways in this is when uh Caden is at Hazel's apartment. Uh, obviously, it's like a it's, it's burning in the corner, and 
he says like so something's mentioned about his wife and she's like she's been gone a year and he's like no they've been gone a week and that's yeah. i think that's the first moment where you go okay i kind i kind of see i see what this film do fucking with me now doing and yeah it's 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 from that moment the wheels kind of come off the cart and things go really bananas but there's i do, yeah i just feel like i've i kind of don't know like there's so much i want to talk about with this film but at the same time i'm i'm really conscious on on time and i don't know i feel like you can talk about this film till you're blue in the face as well and, and probably oh God, not yeah. spoil it as well like people yeah. <laughs> still still won't still won't um understand what the hell is going on and yeah like a, my, my final thing is like for people who are thinking about whether they want to watch this or not is i watched this film and then needed to go for a walk afterwards yeah um this is definitely one of those the credits roll the credits have rolled and i'm just still sat there staring at the screen just trying to take everything in <laughs> yeah i think it's, i think it's a lot and then it just lingers with you for like a week <laughs> you're still thinking about it yeah this goes on the list i think with um like requiem for a dream in that like i can see technically what they're doing is great yet the feelings they make me feel i don't want to experience all of the time no and yeah i think uh, but at the same time if you haven't watched it and you, you want to be a kaufman completist i definitely would recommend it and e even if you're not a kaufman completist and i don't know like to experiment with the films you watch it, it definitely is an experience and i think that is something that can be leveled at charlie kaufman's films in general and uh obviously after this he kind of he kind of as as i mentioned earlier went out into the weeds a bit tried to get stuff made and did, didn't really do much until 2015 when um a play he had written under a uh pseudonym francis fragoli was turned into a, a stop-motion psychological comedy drama which again sounds like one of the most Kaufman things possible uh, in Anomalisa uh, again Oscar nominated for um, best animated feature was nominated for Golden Globes yeah again like it became the first film to win the Grand Jury Prize at the uh, 72nd Venice Film Festival and did like did really well yet i have I, I i've never watched it and i think i remember it coming out and it to me at the time and obviously i can't pass judgment on it i haven't seen it but my impression of it it looked quite irksome it, it looked quite tiresome maybe by that point i'd kind of got a bit charlie kaufman out and i know it's something i probably should revisit uh 
and and I, and I want to, especially after doing this kind of cram session lately. Uh, well, yeah. What do you? Yeah. Like, what, what? What? Obviously, we can't we can't talk about our what we think of the film, but like, what are your impressions of Anomalisa? Yeah, like I um yeah. Once again, I I haven't seen this. I tried watching this before um before we did this, but once again, not actually streaming anywhere. Um, at the time of release, yeah, I think I was kind of in a similar headspace. It didn't. Uh, other than like, I I did think that the uh, the stop motion was real, like, was quite appealing. Um, since I do think it's, I can't really say like it's a lost art form because obviously you know there are production companies like Leica and um, obviously Ardman as well. Um, who is still trying to push this quite hard. Um, there's also a guy on YouTube called Lee Hardcastle. I really recommend checking him out. His work is fantastic. Um, but when, yeah, when it came to this, I don't know, there wasn't that too much that was appealing to me about it. Um, but it's definitely something I would like to go back in on at some point. And um, just looking at the cast list here, once again, uh, you have David Thulis, who we'll be talking more about when we come to um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Working with Jennifer Jason Lee again and Tom Noonan again. Um, and interestingly, looking at the cast, it says both David Foolis and Jennifer Jason Lee are assigned just one character, whereas Tom Noonan is everyone else. Yes, I think again, like it is, it deals with something that uh, Charlie Kaufman deals with a lot, which is identity. Uh, something that obviously I think carries over into I'm thinking of ending things uh, a film which yeah I guess we should talk about in a moment which I think deals with um, memories and time in a really fascinating way Jake my boyfriend it's snowing winter is coming we have a real connection, a rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. I'm visiting Jake's parents for the first time. He hasn't been my boyfriend for very long. They really are looking forward to meeting you. I think of ending things. Hello? We're here. Oh, hi. Oh, it's all wet. Here they come. Oh, Jake has told us so much about you. He's told me so much about both of you, too. And you came anyway? <laughs> Jake tells me you're studying quantum psychics. Ooh, physics. Really? But there's just something profoundly wrong here. Are you okay? Yeah. I think you're ending something. I am so glad Jake has found someone. <laughs> Soon this will all be a distant memory. Who's this? It's me. No, it was me. I tell you, I would misplace my own head if it wasn't screwed onto my own head. I feel like I was seeing them as they were. Seeing them as they will be. Seeing them after they're gone. I'm thinking of it. You can stay here. Excuse me? You don't have to go. I don't have to go where? Forward. 
people like to think of themselves as points moving through time. But I think it's the opposite. We're stationary, and time passes through us, blowing like cold wind. Maybe this is how it was always going to end. So, Ethan, what did you make of Charlie Kaufman's newest film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things? So, um, once again, in my letterbox review for this, I put, um, I was I was half asleep while watching this film, and I think that was both the best and worst thing for it. <laughs> it's... I I think for the for the most part it pulls itself off. I um I think it it maybe like it kind of lost me at the ending, but I don't know whether to say that for my yeah for my um my current being at the time. Um, but for the most part, I, I thought it was really really impressive. Um, yeah, once again, like stellar cast. Um, and then once I kind of actually did figure out what it was about. Um, yeah, I guess it, it still kind of like reminded me of um, Synecdoche quite a bit, actually. Um, yeah, still going into like similar themes and whatnot. I thought it was weird how like because this is um, this is initially based on a book, isn't it, by um, Ian Ian Reed. Banks? Ian Reed. Ian Reed, sorry, Ian Reed. Um, and yeah, this still felt very Kaufman-esque, which I thought was interesting. Well, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it differs from the book when it gets to the end. I think yeah, the the the, the film goes to places again, and you can kind of like we can talk around them. Obviously, this one we don't want to spoil at all because it is fairly new. Obviously, yeah. it's streaming on netflix uh came out on the 4th of september and yeah you mentioned the cast so it's a pretty pretty small cast we have in this but they're all they're all heavy hitters so jesse buckley jesse plemons david fulis and tony collette who um i said in my review of this film is the rightful queen of the silver screen like she has uh, paid her dues really like and she has done so much but now has like managed to do really interesting films and like picks her roles perfectly and it seems to be given amazing like roles to work with and um I would really recommend people check out if they haven't her interview she did recently with Mark Marin on his WTF podcast, uh, where she she says that like acting comes from a place of like self, and that the reason she does the roles that she does is she knows herself more, so is out there to take more risks. So. Yeah, so the fact that she's been like kind of doing this for thirty years or so. 
Yeah, something like that. Like, like, I think, um, what was it like? Yeah, like her sort of biggest break was Mural's writing, wasn't it? And that was. Well, no, maybe not. Maybe even twenty years, like twenty years. Kind of, but like, she's really, she's really had a, a a ride, hasn't she? Like, she was in a lot of like kind of um, romantic comedies, like in her shoes, and like these kind of um, about a boy. Yeah, and like a lot of like, like I don't know, feminist friend films. Like she was in that film with uh, Drew Barrymore. Like I believe it was like a kind of like um. A tale of two friends who like one of them had cancer like do you know what I mean she's kind of done that but that, now she's yeah. kind of like ventured into this like hereditary era like doing this like films that and I think this one again it's it's something that like when we were talking about uh Parasite it kind of skirts about in what genre it's playing in. But I can understand at the same time how this film can be immensely infuriating for a viewer. Like, it's it's close to being impenetrable to a degree in that, like... You go like I, I I went in looking for answers and came out with more questions than answers. Yeah. And I I, I, I I've since bought the book because I'm like oh maybe I'll get the answers in there. <laughs> but but at the same time, I don't know if it's a film that requires like. Do you know what I mean it's not an M Night Shyamalan where there's a, a twist at the end and it's all. It's all made clear. No. Possibly it's a film that you just have to experience in a way. Yeah, like I think, um, yeah, like arguably I'd say the things that I, I gravitated towards the most were once again, like the characters, I think um, it's thanks to kind of Coffin's writing. He still makes these very relatable characters and I immediately felt like quite attached to um, Jesse Buckley's character um, who I believe is actually just credited as young woman and kind of like the list of different names you kind of hear her uh, portrayed as like I think Lucy at one point um, Louise maybe Amy yeah yeah Yeah, and you just you you do kind of like get because the a lot of the film is kind of like told through her um, it's mostly just like her thoughts, like just randomly her, like her in a monologue. Um, which yeah, I, I, I gravitated towards like quite a lot. And then once you do like the, like the first half of the film is basically just like her and Jesse Plemons in the car. A majority of it is them just having like slightly awkward conversation and her saying the, you know, the title I'm thinking of ending things while referring to their relationship. Um, but then once you get to the house of uh, Jesse Clemens' character's uh, parents, um, it's it's a very kind of like quite real horror, um, which I haven't really felt since I watched um, the Darren Aronofsky film Mother, which is kind of like, it's very like these kind of like, like societal uncomfortableness, like, you know, like, 
obviously we've all had that moment where like we've met a um, a loved one's like parents for the first time and you think of just kind of like everything that can kind of go wrong whether that's like like the worst kind of kind of scenario or just like just pure awkwardness anyway and it just feels like all of that just betrayed and it's uncomfortable but you're just like this does feel quite real still but, yeah well it's got that thing that like yeah it it plays in that sandbox that mother plays in that it really plays upon being like an anxiety dream a lot of it even down to like there, there's a moment where we have uh, Jesse Buckley's character walking down the stairs that, like, and it, it, it gets to an uncomfortably, like, amount that she keeps, it seems to be in this kind of, like, Escher-like loop where she's just going, like, round and round, like, down the stairs. And it's it's not even like the stairs go on forever. It's like she's just walking do you know what I mean it's the same it's the same movement down the stairs and yeah it really it really does play with real hot like when we get to like the be- the the basement and stuff like that and like it, it it kind of it plays with elements of horror and then subverts them but then the things you find in there are so mundane that they're even like more they're, they're somewhat more horrific than if you had found a monster and like there's something i don't know there's something terrifying about both tony collette and david fulis's characters and even jesse plemons to like a degree that like i don't know we, we we've seen like those those of you who i assume everyone's seen breaking bad at this point but like we've seen that he can play menace perfectly and whereas in uh breaking bad it's more of like a uh pot like ready to boil over at any moment of his character of todd in this it's a lot more like you just get these bursts it's like a chip pan like where you'll get a spit of hot fat like fly out at you like and you get these moments in his character where you you see that where like he kind of like i think there's a moment at the dinner table and he he blows up about something whereas like his character throughout the the rest of the film a lot of the time he's quite he, he even even in these moments like sometimes she thinks saying like i'm thinking of ending things and there's kind of this motif that plays throughout the film and he's like what did you just say and he's he, yeah. he almost he almost like seems like I don't know like quite a, like he's aware of what she's thinking. Yeah, but almost like his character seems like quite downtrodden and like not not even downtrodden, but like he's just a bit of a simple guy who's do you know what I mean? Like he he wants the best for the situation, but then I don't know like there is this underlying tension throughout all, all of it and it's 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 another hard one to talk to especially if we're not we're not going into spoilers and i i i watched this on day of release and like i'm meaning to watch it again but it's 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 a hard one to, to do you know what I mean it's again like it's a like synecdoche new york where it's like i feel like i've got to be in the mood for this one again but like i almost feel like 
I need to watch it again. Yeah, like I, I definitely plan on watching this again quite soon. Um, I really wanted to try and watch it again just before we did the um did this. Um, but yeah, there, there still feels like a lot that I, I don't know yet about the film, or like things that I've theorized and I want to go back in on. Or um, there's also a part of me that really wants to watch um, a woman under the influence because there's a big scene where that. Um, that film comes into question as well. So, but yeah, like there's, I have to say, it's one of the most interesting films I've seen this year. Like whether it's people talking about it like negatively or positively, I think like everyone has something to say on it. Yeah, and I think, well, I feel, I feel like this is a year of of that. We've said it with Tenet, but like it's this kind of like polarizing film. Whereas that, by design, by from what I've read and heard from people, seems like it's by like by design in a manufactured way. In that, like, I'm gonna, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm making it confusing for the sake of making it confusing. Whereas, yeah, I'm thinking of ending things. Feels like it's dealing with these massive subjects and this this idea of memory this idea of like self again and and that stuff is confusing so to make a film tackling those subjects obviously is going to be is going to be confusing like do you mean like and 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 time do you mean like it's interesting. It's interesting that obviously these films are kind of touchstones that kind of deal with time in in interesting ways. Yet, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, without seeing Tenet, obviously, I know that's a big point of the film is the time thing. But like, I don't want to yeah. draw too many comparisons of him having not seen. It. But like, yeah, how does how do you think that the way in this film plays with time, like? not differs to that but like kind of like which do you prefer the kind of the, the playing about with time um i feel like well with this i mean they both tackle with time in quite different capacities really obviously with tenet it's more of a case of reversing time and trying to manipulate it whereas um with I'm thinking of ending things. It's more so the passage of time, um, and once again, as I yeah, as I said before, quite similar to Synecdoche, New York. It's the alarming rate that um, the way things start to just keep going, and you're just kind of like, wait, weren't we just here? Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. Like it's um, it's yeah, it's very much kind of like the horrors of time, rather than yeah trying to manipulate it but it's not like where, whereas with tenet it's not really used in that kind of capacity it's more so just um just a plot device really yeah i, I, I don't think... know um yeah just with, with I, I think the, the problem with like uh, to, to compare uh tenet and um i'm thinking of many things i think the thing like a lot obviously a lot of people keep saying with tenet it's just like oh, you need to watch it more than once to get it. It's just like, yeah, but if I didn't enjoy it that much on first watch, I'm not really going to get much out on the second watch. Whereas if I'm thinking of ending things, I think it just has a bit more to offer on first watch in which to make you want to watch it again. 
whereas 10 it just feels kind of like alienating because of its pseudo intellectualness and also the fact of just like once again um when it comes to character like it's only so much as what the, those actors bring to their character rather than the writing itself so well it seems yeah. interesting that the that obviously they have they have similarities and that there are characters in this that don't have names like as you said like uh jesse buckley's character is just known as uh, the young woman. Young woman. Whereas, yeah, they, they, um, yeah, John David Washington's character, yeah, in uh, Tenet is just known as protagonist. Yeah, and 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 mother, father, and I'm thinking of ending things like it's it's not that they but yet they don't have names yet they feel like, and that's the thing. Even though their characters are shifting all the time. There's something really interesting about it. And I think that people like listening, if you if you're if you've got to this point and you haven't seen I'm thinking of ending things in this podcast, I don't know what you're doing here, really. But if it, you, you yeah, you definitely should should get onto Netflix and check it out and we'd we'd I know I would I'm sure Ethan would as well, would love to hear what you guys uh, make of this film. Um, so leads me to the eternal question. I think the, the question we've been leading up to this whole episode, Ethan, is does Charlie Kaufman work better when he is just pure, unfiltered Charlie Kaufman doing what he does, writing, directing, a singular voice, a singular vision, or is he better when he's reined in by his collaborators? I I think I'm more so towards um, being reined in with his collaborators, even as much as I do love um, both of the two directorial works that I have seen, which are I'm thinking of ending things in Connecticut, New York. Um, I think it it just works just for a kind of like a better experience really although seeing things going forward i'm not too sure whether i think he might just be just doing being a writer director now um i know he has that from chaos walking that i don't know what's happening with that like apparently that's just been in development forever and yeah who knows um oh sorry with chaos walking i wouldn't get too excited about that because i did some reading about it and he made a pass at the script in 2012. So I think any writing credit he has now will be a kind of a legality and a credit due to his involvement at one point. It's more of a kind of union thing of he was the first person to adapt this. But by the looks of it, it has kind of, been filtered down and gone through so many different writers that anything that would kind of resemble a, a Kaufman-esque script I would guess would have been torn out of this and we see it a lot uh, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance is a film that has a story by credit for David S. Goyer that's only because uh. at one point 
he wrote an initial script for that film, the end result is not what David S. Goyer wrote at all. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, I just wanted to jump on that point that like. No, that's that's fair because I've been wondering for quite a while because I know it it been in like. Um, I don't know whether development hell is the right word, but I know it's. Yeah, there's been yeah some queries about that film. But going back to the uh, yeah writer or writer director thing, um, yeah, it, it does feel like going forward he's mostly just going to be doing um, writer director work. But I think yeah, when it when it comes to like my favorites of his, I do think it's still um, the things that he writes as such. I think he's very good at collaboration because there's it's not. Um, I think it's it's well it's it's good the way that he is reined in, but it doesn't lose any of his personality. Still, it's still quite um, palpable. The right word? I'm not too sure. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, I think his best work has been with uh, other directors. In that, I don't think we ever would have got an adaptation if he was slated to direct that. No, God no. And also, like, I mean, I, I think he, like, by the looks of his state around the time, like, his personal state around the time of adaptation, I did. I think he would have crumbled under the pressure, to be honest. Yeah, but, but yeah, like, we, we wouldn't have got that. And I don't think, like, I don't think he would have taken the risks with being John Malkovich if, like, his intention were at that point to, I'm going to write this to direct it. Because... Because, uh, yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, he kind of wrote that script thinking it wouldn't get made at all. So, like, would you take that? You wouldn't take those risks if you knew you were going to write it. But, but who knows? Going forward, and obviously, if he's got, like, a kind of deal with Netflix or he's going to be developing more stuff with them, we know, like, from the stuff that they've done with, Scorsese and uh, oh, what's his name uh, Duncan Jones that, that they let directors do what they want to do and obviously like yeah. that might be the case going forward with Kaufman but I do think that collaboration whether it's Michelle Gondry or Spike Jones just sparks flew and, and, and magic happened and I don't like I think I think that is his best work and it's it feels like without them on his own they the films become almost too impenetrable that they yeah they aren't do you know what I mean like I I know for sure that I will be watching adaptation and being John Malkovich multiple times probably before i go back to seeing synecdoche new york that's not as to say that it's a bad film it's that it takes an emotional toll on you to watch that film whereas those are deal with big issues but do them as you said in a lot more palatable way than yeah than a than a kind of a Charlie Kaufman joint, as it were. Um, perfect. So 
where can we keep up to date, Ethan, with what you're doing, uh, whether it's the blog or just online in general? Yeah, uh, so you can find me um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd over at um, Ethan underscore Valentine. Um, and then obviously on my um, on a, my personal medium, uh, which I think is literally the same medium slash Ethan underscore Valentine, or our first, yeah, our official page, uh, medium.com slash scenes on screens. And then sometimes I'll tweet on our official account as well. How about yourself? Perfect. So you can find me at P Pat Syllabus on Twitter, Petros Pat Syllabus on Instagram if you really want to. Uh, I think I'm on Letterboxd at P Pat Syllabus. I'm fairly new to it, so please go easy on me. Or if you want to uh, see me tweeting about Nicolas Cage and hearing me talk about Nicolas Cage, you can always head on over to Caged In Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or on any of your favourite podcast platforms. We'll be Caged In, uh, a Nicolas Cage podcast. So, yeah, that's where you can keep up to date with me. And uh, before before we leave leave people and sign off what have we got coming up so what will be coming out in two weeks time in a fortnight's time what what will we be serving up for the good listeners at home uh so uh once everyone's ingested uh this podcast and also the current articles we have up um on the site at the moment we are looking to post some more stuff um i'm hopefully going to be dishing out a a Bill and Ted article in time for our next uh, our next podcast which will be focusing on um, that franchise and the new film especially so tune in next time when we will be talking about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and of course the 29 year in the making Bill and Ted face the music Please do be sure to check out Scenes on Screen on Medium, which is medium.com forward slash scenes on screen, where you can read all of our articles, reviews, blog posts that we put out there. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or a podcast catcher of your choice. You can also follow Scenes on Screen on social media, Twitter, at scenes on screen and instagram at scenes on screen underscore fortunately somebody had already taken scenes on screen well for this week the reel on the film is very much wound out we do hope that you join us next time and remember to keep watching movies and keep that silver screen alive